Well, hello, marketers. Welcome to the DMN one-on-one podcast. I'm Chris Wood, Associate Editor of DMN, here today with Sarah Spivey, CMO of Braze. And uh, welcome, Sarah. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I was wondering um, if you'd be able to get into a little bit about channel agnosticism. Um, We were talking about uh, a lot of our coverage on DMN really relates to just this omni-channel world where marketers are trying to reach their audience wherever they can find them. Is that something that you're finding? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my my view of this, and I think Brace's view, is that, you know, Marketers need to think more about how you communicate with customers, regardless of channel, right? It's a, it is a communication process, right? And I think in some ways the words omni-channel and multi-channel have almost done a disservice because I think we oh, still think about those things. We think about omni-channel, but when we describe it, we say email and push messaging and web push. Um, and direct mail still as individual things, and we use a word to describe omnichannel, but that's not really what it is, right? A lot of organizations still have, you know, the email marketer and the push messaging marketer, and they are different people. And one of the things that Braze is really trying to get marketers to think more holistically about is how are you communicating with people in total? So some of the features we've just released and how we kind of think about that whole process is to keep marketers from doing silly things like I just sent you an email thanking you for your purchase and now I'm going to get a push notification that's a 10% coupon off of the thing I just bought. Oh my goodness, right. right. So those those two, both perfectly reasonable actions, but Take not together, <laughs> right? And so the whole idea and a lot of how our platform is designed and how we think about features to enhance that is really to be conscious of what's happening in the channels simultaneously so that you avoid those kind of, you know, we call them message fails, right? Each one of those, to your point, each one of those activities is, has a place, but the context in which that is sent and the context of which your customer is sitting in is really important. And those channels tend to be viewed very separately. Um, Does it help to focus holistically on the customer and the customer's journey as opposed to which channels you're focusing on? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with that, right? Which which channels do they most prefer? Which channels, what time of day do they are they more likely to read a message? Um, and to make sure you're communicating with them in the channel that they prefer and also in, in a way that's considerate of their time and, and is uh, considerate of their, um, how they think about value of those messages. Um, so, you know, as an example, one of the things that we just... Uh, pushed out in our last release is something called frequency capping, which actually lets you set caps so that you don't over inundate someone with a message or the same message just at multiple times of day. Um, And so part of this is just kind of understanding, you know, how to be sensitive to how people consume information and that your customers are on all those channels simultaneously. Um, and so how do you be more conscious and aware of how they're consuming messages and don't create collisions? How do you determine a cap then? Would it be um, a personal preference of a customer or would it be by channel not to get some, back into that same yeah, problem I mean, again? Some, some uh, clients do, will do a survey, you know, how would you prefer it to be communicated with? And, you know, that's pretty like I'd rather get email, I'd rather get a push message, I'd rather not hear from you ever. Would that put right? different customers into different categories? Yeah, then? so it's, it becomes part of your segmentation, right? So as you think about how to message these individual people, what their preferences are, 
um, and how to, how to take that into consideration. I saw a statistic the other day that was um, on App Iterate, which is just a kind of an industry watcher for app, the app business um, broadly, and it said that 71% of people will delete an app based on a push notification as a trigger. Mm. So it's clearly the, I've had enough messages, stop, that triggers that deletion. That's a pretty high percentage. So if you think about that in terms of, boy, if you just sent two less messages a week or two less messages a month, would that really impact your subscription rate? So that's kind of what frequency capping is all about. Like, what is the tipping point when someone finally says, enough? I mean, do you find that then? I mean, the stakes are very high then, especially with apps, because there's already kind of a, a high threshold to actually engage the customer enough to download the app. The app has to bring value, right? Okay. I mean, I think that's that's core, even before you start thinking about how you would message into Great it. Point. Um, that I think that's why some apps have not been successful, is that once someone gets to the app, what do I do with it? Unless that's really a compelling experience, including the messaging, then you're more likely to you know maybe download it but not use it and then delete it later. So I think the onus is really on you know the folks who develop the apps to make sure that they're constantly um, developing features and functionality that keep people wanting to come back for more. I notice around the office that we're already in holiday season, and that's really the holidays, right? I mean, do you find this kind of seasonality reduced now uh, with the increased engagement with individual customers, or is there still like a holiday excitement? Well, I think, you know, you have to kind of dig into it by industry. So certainly okay. for retail and e-commerce, you know, people started, you know, baking their holiday plans last summer. Do you think that the customers are expecting more notifications around this time? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, we all, I think, have expectations that, you know, certainly retailers and e-commerce providers, they have a lot of data about us, right? They know what I've purchased. They know what I've been looking at. They know what I'm shopping for. I may have built a shopping list inside their site. So just like you would send somebody an abandoned cart message, very easy now to send a message that says, hey, these three things on your, on your holiday list are on sale, 25% off, or free shipping on Tuesday, or whatever it happens to be. So all these data points they have and the ability to kind of coalesce those into a picture about somebody gives you a great opportunity to continue, you know, kind of reminding people. Um, how important is it in mobile channels to connect with people when they're out on the road, and, and how much more is location uh, playing into that? Location is, is really important, I think, obviously, for physical retail, less so for e-commerce. Um, but I think uh, the physical retail um, you know, notification space, so I know you're in a store, I know you're in a department, I know you have looked at this on the website, and now you're in the aisle, those things are are pretty important to connect the dots. Another thing I hear is that, you know, the customers really want to um, self-educate and look things up, and so where they find that information might necessar not necessarily be where they're actually intending to purchase. That's right. I think uh, the, the whole notion of, again, this word world, this word omni-channel about shopping, mm -hmm. right? Companies who don't understand that retail and e-commerce are linked from the consumer's perspective, I think are missing kind of the big picture on that, right? To have really siloed, we have a retail business and we have an e-commerce business. That's not how people shop anymore, right? I might go into a store and look at something. I might buy it online. I might see it online and go into a store and buy it. From a consumer journey experience, that shouldn't matter to them. The point is to get me to buy somewhere. 
Um, I also think the advent of people using their mobile phones to actually do the transaction is, has changed quite a bit. If you look year over year, the last three years of, of holiday sales, bigger and bigger percentage is actually being transacted. So it's not just shopping on your phone anymore and comparing prices and reading reviews. It's actually pulling the trigger to buy. So that's changed the dynamic too in terms of the timeliness of a message, right? As somebody has put something into a cart to trigger them to, to take the action to go ahead and purchase. You probably wouldn't have done that two years ago to a mobile phone. Something, but you would now. <laughs> <laughs> well, with like mobile wallet options, mm -hmm. uh, where consumers are more confident with that kind Higher of security, yeah. I mean, I think the advent of Apple Pay and now Apple Card, which mm -hmm. I think is interesting, right? I think realization of Apple that not everyone wants to use the mobile wallet and some people still like the physical card. And then you have people who've had physical cards forever that now are going to mobile wallet. So again, here's another example of, to a consumer, doesn't matter, right? Any way I use that transaction should be fine to whoever, you know, the bank or the whoever owns the, the, uh, the account on that. But for a marketer, then it's like, you know, don't overlook mobile then as a well, I think, you know, the advent of mobile first is, has, has been around, you know, probably for the last three or four years, um, especially as you're developing capabilities. Um, if you think about particularly the generations coming up that are digital native, right, the chances that they're even going to be on a desktop is slim to none. Right, so it really is thinking about mobile, mobile first in terms of that experience. And I've heard they're also spending more time in store sometimes too, maybe just because they have more time on their hands. Well, it's as an, younger people. it's a, it's a social activity, right? They like to go with their friends. They may they may purchase on their phone or online, you know, back when they get to their dorms or their rooms or whatever. But you know, shopping as an experience, and I think you're starting to see these really interesting retail concept malls that really are dest entertainment destinations, right? It's a combination of, of eating and entertainment and shopping um, and park space all kind of combined into one. I mean, Hudson Yards is a, here in New York is mm -hmm. a perfect example of what I think retail is going to look like, which is more you go for the experience of being there um, than you do for purchase. Plenty of purchase happening there, too. Plenty of purchase happening anyway. Plenty of purchase happening anyway. That's exactly right. Um, and that goes back to the notifications, right? I mean, it's like a communication. It's like a, it's a, I think that's a, a conversation is, is how you mm -hmm. um, refer to it mm -hmm. um, with less of a, <laughs> I'm sure there's a direction that's going toward a purchase ultimately, but uh, the more notifications don't necessarily have to be like pitches. That's right. In fact, I think um, the, the more communication that's really just engaging content is probably a better long haul strategy. Um, you know, I worked in nonprofit technology for a long time, and one of the first rules we would always tell clients was every communication can't be an ask, right? It's more about here's what the org is doing, here's the mission we're committed to, here's a really interesting person who, you know, was served by our services. Um, but it can't always be asking for money. And the same thing is true with mobile messaging for for almost every industry, right? Is the point is you want to engage somebody in dialogue. You and I, when we're having a conversation, don't talk about the same thing every time. So you got to translate that into how people use technology to drive that. I'm thinking also about what people ascribe to like the rise of D2C brands and how they use the personality of their founder and development. That's kind of like an edge that they may have had over traditional retailers at one point. At yeah, least. I mean, I think Obviously, when they get going, they're not trading on a big brand name, 
you know, they're all their big challenge is discovery. So if the big challenge is discovery, then your communication strategy has has to be much more around inform, advise, and educate as opposed to ask. Um, and so I think that is a big difference between D2C brands is how do people discover them. Um, one other thing just uh, that you brought up about the, um, the distinction between e-commerce and like in-store retail at, or from an organizational side, do mm -hmm. you find that there's still um, a lot of siloing there or are marketers within these organizations beginning to really kind of bring things together? Is there still a lot of I, way I to know, go? I would say I think some of the companies that started online and then went to a store are a little more adept at it, you know, because they have their, their uh, foundation is in e-commerce. Mm -hmm. um, I still see kind of, you know, what I would call sort of hardline brick and mortar types that are slower to adopt that. You still see people who own retail merchandising and then the dot-com side of the business as two separate things in, in a fair number of retailers still. Is it a matter of survival for them to, I may be a loaded question here, but like, <laughs> I mean, they, they have to integrate the e-commerce somehow to, to survive. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the things that's been kind of an interesting phenomenon the last couple of years that sort of forced integration is the whole notion of click and collect, right? I'm going to okay. buy it online sure. and then I'm going to go in-store yep. to pick up, right? That's a very obvious connection. Um, and that's picking up more steam, particularly in grocery. Um, where, you know, I, I think I read this, you can check my, you can fact check this, but I think Walmart's fastest e-commerce growth category is grocery. And I think that's becoming more typical for fair, for a fair number of retailers that are kind of, uh, you know, how do we integrate the experience with click and collect into an either in-store experience or an e-commerce experience and try to bring those together. I mean, that was a story that came out of the last Amazon Prime Day, actually, was how, like, consumer packaged goods were getting picked up. Oh, using that opportunity. Yeah, and uh, a lot of other retailers get that bow wave effect from Amazon Prime Day because sure. people will check the price on Amazon and then they may go buy it on Target.com or Walmart.com or somewhere else. So in general, on Prime Days, you see retail pick up across all of the big ones. And not just on books and like oh, back-to-school no. items. No, it's pretty much across every category. And even bigger ticket items now. Um, you know, more confidence with um, the mobile purchase and actually shopping online to see like through augmented reality, like a bed or a sofa and how it'll match in your room is kind of opening up those doors for retailers that thought, well, I need to get my customer into the store. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of examples of those and then there's plenty of examples where, you know, you had Casper that was online forever and now they have stores, Great right? Point. So I think there are examples of people going kind of both directions and I think that's evident that consumers shop in both worlds. Nobody is an either or, it's an and. And it's agnosticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well again, I mean, the, the goal of the retailer is to get someone to buy, right? They shouldn't really care where they buy, frankly. Um, you know, there are margin implications to where they buy, obviously, in right. either of those channels. But at the end of the day, you know, Target should care about getting the sale over Walmart. Does it matter if they were in-store or .com? Not really. The more channels, the more advantage, it would seem. You would think, yeah. And I think that's why things like Click and Collect have become more popular, right? It's yet another option um, to kind of add to the, the bag of tricks. I mean, do you find that that new option kind of informs how marketers communicate using notifications 
And does that does that increase the engagement? It can. I mean, certainly, you know, once you've ordered and your order is ready for pickup, that's an obvious notification, sure. right? But it can also be if you've ordered online, you know, would you like to pick up in store mm-hmm. on the next purchase? Mm-hmm. So I do think it's an opportunity, you know, to, again, send a relevant message that gleans more information about that consumer's preferences, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to hone a profile of them that really allows you to communicate with them in a more effective way that they're going to receive in a way that's not going to cause them to delete the app or delete the email, right? That, sure. And that's all a little bit of experience and, and um, experiment in terms of how you get the best, the best reaction. Keeping a relevant notification, a useful message with the, with the consumer at any time in the buying journey. Yeah, so yeah. It sounds like. I, you know, Google three years ago called it the zero moment of truth, right? right. The whole notion yep. of ZMOT, right? And I don't think I don't think we've strayed that far off of it, right? The goal is still the same. It's it's the you know, the golden ticket is really this idea of one to one marketing. I think what we've added is one to one marketing at scale. Like how do you do, how do you do one to one marketing for millions of people? And you know, a lot of tools out there that have made data collection and data analysis easier, connecting those to platforms like Braze so that you mm-hmm. can connect the data points with the action. All of those things, I think, are just taking this to the next level. The data really isn't worth anything if, unless it's actionable. That's right, and actionable in the right, right way. Um, one of the things that I think sometimes get lost in the shuffle when we talk about messaging and data is the notion that um, the the glue that ties listening to data and acting on data is all about context. It's understanding, right? So it's taking all the disparate data points and being able to kind of paint a picture. What is the context that that consumer is under at that moment in time and then taking the appropriate action? And I think there are, you know, the challenge is getting brands to really figure out how to develop context and act on it without reaction to disparate data points. So I go back to my early example, right, which was I sent a thank you email for the purchase and then a push message 10 seconds later on the same thing being for sale. Because those two things don't have the connection. Um, And so integrating that action is really important based on what you know about that person and where they are in the moment. Are marketers more confident with, like, AI solutions to be able to make those connections? I mean, I think we're early on in those. On. I think um, I think, I think where a lot of marketers are looking for that is to be able to do some prediction, right? To tie data together and say, is there a pattern here in terms of I bought, I bought this item, this item, and this item, and I can now predict that the fourth item is going to be right. X, right? I just had a new baby as an example, and now I'm going to get um, a message about a new camera or something that's maybe baby-related. I think the the hope and dream of artificial intelligence is really the prediction capability. What will they do next? And can I get a message in front of them at that moment that will get them to take action? Well, I hope that we'll be able to talk again next time um, very soon uh, just about because it does seem to be uh, just a really dynamic time. In it's a dynamic time. There's, you know, new technology being, you know, brought out every day that kind of makes this more interesting, also more complicated. Sure, of course. So, yeah, there'll be no shortage of things to talk about on this topic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks Great for having speaking me, Chris. With you. I appreciate and, it. And uh, thanks for listening, readers. Find more content on data, strategy, and technology at dmnews.com. Thanks for listening.